Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of the SQ Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Steve Sales. Um, I apologize in advance if I have a bit of a sore throat and my voice doesn't sound as good. I woke up with, or I didn't wake up with one, but I got one like towards the end of last night. Feels a lot better right now, but something that was bugging me. Um, I, for people that may be worried about that, I don't have any other COVID related symptoms and I went over it with the, the health check and everything we have to do uh, for school. And seemingly, I don't need to get a test right now unless it gets worse. And it's gotten better. So I should be all right for now. But for now, I'm holed up in uh, just precautionary measures. I went the room next to me is completely empty because the two kids that lived in here moved out for various reasons. And now I have my own little <clears throat> hidey hole whenever I need it. So this is my life today. All right, here we go. So in a very rare occurrence, I actually delivered when I said I was going to be back next week with an episode, and it's a bunch of different varied stuff today. So we're going to do the, uh, I'm going to start with Earl Thomas thing and my little opening thing here, and then I'll do uh, a, a couple series from the NBA playoffs, the first round so far. A bunch of those have been pretty boring, so I'm not going to talk about all of them, just like some of the standouts. <clears throat> and then uh, I'm going to talk about the uh, DC fandom, like their Comic-Con thing that was last or yesterday, not just last night, with uh, a couple different guys, same guys I did the Snyder Cut with. So, got a lot of stuff today, a lot of uh, different stuff that'll keep me uh, fresh, I think, and uh, so we'll get started. So, the Earl Thomas thing. Um, for those of you that don't know, Earl Thomas got in uh, an altercation with uh, their strong safety, Chuck Clark of Baltimore, and I believe Earl Thomas punched him somewhere, and then he got sent home, and everyone's like, all right, whatever, you know, just like a standard practice thing, whatever. And then yesterday it came out like, oh, wait, all of his teammates hate him. And that's an issue, uh, seemingly. And I guess there's been a couple things related to the team that we, the people, didn't know about because we're not part of the locker room and everything. I mean, obviously we heard about the, uh, <laughs> the uh, I'll call it the incident with his brother and other women and his wife holding a gun to his head. A um, couple things this offseason uh, that – made Earl Thomas a bit of a problematic figure. And I guess this was the last draw. So they just released him as of, I want to say, half an hour ago. Let me check Twitter and see what that says. But I'm pretty sure Schefter announced that they released him. They had said earlier today that they were either going to release him or trade him. So either way, he was gone. Um, Earl Thomas was owed a $10 million salary for the year. And it looks like the Ravens aren't going to theoretically have to pay that because they had a specific grieve or uh, subsection of his contract that covered something like this, which a red flag probably if you need to do something like that and put it in your contract. Um, so I don't assume they're probably not going to get this money uh, immediately or anything. Uh, that certainly they would, I'm, a team like the Ravens would probably prefer to have that kind of cap space, but <clears throat> they, may, they may be able to get it before the season ends. And if they don't, I mean, they should have uh, that extra space for next year that they don't have, which I think is also 10 million that would take up on next year's uh, cap, which again, for a team like the Ravens, where you're trying to compete and win right before you have to pay your quarterback big money, not a bad place to be in. So kind of like the, uh, I imagine it'll play out pretty similarly to the Patriots thing where the Patriots are still kind of fighting for some of that money from Antonio Brown. So, Yes, so Adam, Sch Adam Schefter said that roughly half an hour ago that Earl Thomas has been released, and I believe the Cowboys are supposed to be the front runner, which is interesting because they certainly need that boost to their secondary given that they lost Byron Jones and some of their guys are kind of young or not really proven, you know, like Chidobe Awuzie and uh, Jordan Lewis, some of those guys. So I think having him would have a nice trickle-down effect. I think this, will, uh, this move is going to make people kind of forget how awesome Earl Thomas still is as a player. I mean, obviously he's not the same dude that he was, but I mean, he still had a pretty big impact. I mean, we, we saw what he did to Marcus Peters uh, last year. So, I mean, he can still play a lot of really good football. And I think for teams that are lacking in that uh, free safety spot, I think that'll go a long way in really helping them out with something like that. So that'll be something to watch. Uh, I wrote down a couple teams just to uh, like of where he could go. All these teams have over what, what was the cutoff? I put the Cowboys are the lowest team. They have fifteen million dollars roughly in cap space. I'm assuming he's not going to get like ten million this year, just because they're so close to the start of the season and everything that happened. But I mean, these guys should still be able to pay him a decent amount of money, and they have the a legitimate need for a strong safety. Um, so I said teams like the Jets, which <laughs> would be hilarious if 
they have to trade Jamal Adams, and then a couple weeks later they're able to get uh, what's his name, Earl Thomas. That would be pretty great. Uh, and then I, uh, I can't talk. Uh, the Eagles, the Lions, and the Giants I put down because all three of their secondaries are pretty questionable. I mean, the Eagles obviously got a lot better with the Darius Slay thing. So having him and Earl Thomas would be very, very interesting to watch. But they actually may not be willing because they have $24 million in cap space right now. But they actually might not be willing to spend too much considering if the cap goes down to a reasonably significant number next offseason, they are like screwed in all terms of the word. Uh, I mean, they, they just the way they've managed their cap has been great. But at some point, you have to pay the piper with all these restructures and all these creative cap deals. And that could be coming to them pretty quickly. So they probably don't want to invest anything more than like a, a one-year deal, which Earl Thomas may not want to do. Uh, Lions are, maybe the Lions, we'll see. I mean, obviously they got rid of Quandre Diggs and uh, Darius Slay in the same calendar year, which is less than ideal, certainly. Um, so I would imagine they would be probably willing to throw a ton of money at him considering their best safety right now is Deron Harmon. It's fine, but not Earl Thomas, certainly. And then the Giants, you know, uh, I, they already have a very good strong safety in Jabril Peppers, so I think having a duo of him and Earl Thomas could help them a lot too, especially because um, you know I'm not a huge uh, Danny Dimes guy, so give him more uh, a bigger margin for error, certainly because their defense is not exactly anything inspiring, shall we say. But So those are the teams that I have right now. Um, I'm sure there may be a couple others that pop out of the woodwork here at some point. Um, I would imagine he would probably sign within the next few days just because I don't think this is something that needs to take a while. I mean, it's Earl Thomas. Um, I guess it, it is interesting to see how much stock people put into the reasons he left Baltimore in the first place. But, I mean, he's so he's good enough where that probably won't matter. I mean, look what happened to Antonio Brown, right? After everything he did to the Raiders, it still took his um, sexual assault charges and everything uh, for the Patriots to drop him. So I would imagine unless he does something like that, He'll, he'll get signed pretty quickly here by another team. So that's the Earl Thomas thing. I'm very interested to see how that plays out because it's a little unique. And then I'm going to take a little break here, and then I'll get into the NBA playoff part. Really quickly before we get into the uh, intro into the NBA playoffs and everything, uh, I completely forgot for some reason to talk about the impact this has on Baltimore. I don't know how I managed to do that, but I did. I talked about it for seven minutes roughly and somehow forgot to talk about how this is going to impact the team that actually released them. Um, yeah. So this has a very interesting trickle down effect on Baltimore's secondary because so they have Tavon Young back, but he's coming back from, I believe a torn ACL, which obviously for quarterbacks may be a little bit rough because you really need to get that speed back and everything. And you need to be able to move side to side. Um, and then you have Marlon Humphrey, who's awesome, obviously. Not trying to debate that. I would say he's probably the second or third best cornerback in the league. Um, and then you have Jimmy Smith, who I'm not really going to be too – I don't want to rely on Jimmy Smith too much right now because he is 32 and has been struggling a little bit here and there compared to what he used to do. Um, yeah, so – and then they have Marcus Peters, which I kind of wanted to get into because obviously just the impact of Earl Thomas is pretty significant by himself. Um <clears throat> Oh, no, I didn't. Why did I say ACL? Tavon Young, by the way, had a neck injury, which is probably worse than an ACL at this point, just because you never know these type of things. Um, anyways, the impact of Earl Thomas is obvious. I mean, we've seen what he does for Seattle, and he wasn't quite the same uh, that he was in Baltimore, as he as he was in Baltimore. But, I mean, the, the dude still just, he knows how to play football. I mean, he made certainly his fair share of mistakes over the last season. I mean, we've seen the... Derrick Henry, uh, or not Derrick Henry, the Nick Chubb business decision, and then becoming a lead blocker for Derrick Henry in the division. Oh my God, he was awful in the divisional run. But I mean, he still, for the most part, was Earl Thomas, all things considered. Like, he knew, you know, his instincts don't exactly just go away because he hadn't been the same. But that, um, so there's this hole now in the middle of the field where Earl Thomas was and is not there. And I, going to be honest with you, I don't know who his replacement is. Like, And it's not so much as like a, um, I just don't pay attention, so I don't know who their safety is. Like, I just legitimately do not know. Like, I'm looking at their safeties, and I don't know who they are. Like, they've had no chance to prove themselves or anything other than Chuck Clark. And he's a strong safety, not a free safety. So, that's going to be a bit of an issue, I would think. Um, going from one of the best safeties in the league currently to... Deshaun Elliott, 
or let me see. Let me what else is in their roster here? Or Jordan. Oh God, Jordan. Yeah. All right. So they have. <laughs> okay, they have some problems here that I was not prepared to see. Man, Jordan Rivers is still on an NFL team. Or Jordan Richards. Jordan Richards is still on an NFL team. That's amazing. Um, that was mean, but I'm sorry. I, I had watched too much of Super Bowl 52. Um, anyways, so you already have the impact of losing Earl Thomas by himself. And then you also have the fact that Marcus Peters, I've gone into this a couple times on the podcast. Marcus Peters works best as a complimentary role. Like he works as like a number two, number three guy who is able to jump a ton of routes and just kind of use his instincts as opposed to playing more schematically because he has other guys around him to take either the best players or just cover up for his mistakes when he does get burnt. And Earl Thomas was like a perfect fit for that because Earl Thomas is just so intelligent and sees the whole field so well that like when Marcus Peters messes up or overplays something too much, Earl Thomas is there to kind of help him out and make sure that he doesn't get burned too badly for that mistake. Now, whoever you replace him with is not going to be able to do those things. So Marcus Peters, while not in the same role that he was for LA where he was the number one guy guarding whoever was their best receiver, he's still going to be doing that type of thing where uh, – he's going to do his, his Marcus Peters thing where he goes for the pick sixes and everything. And there's going to be someone who can't cover for him as much, like even close to as much as Earl Thomas did. Now, I mean, we've seen it and no, that's not even fair because in Kansas city, he had Eric Berry. So, I mean, this is the, you know, so, I mean, it may look more similar to LA than I was talking myself into earlier. So that's also something to watch because part of Baltimore's thing is they get ahead early and then they just, don't give up any leads because their run game's awesome and because their secondary is was also fantastic when the other team had to pass all the time. And that's going to change things a little bit. Now, I'm not saying their defense is going to be bad or anything right now, but it's certainly not going to be as good as it was last year. So that's something to really watch for. So I, I, I cannot believe I completely forgot to talk about that, but I did it and that's all that matters. So here we go, NBA. Here we go, NBA playoffs. Um, the, I gotta say the first round has not been particularly entertaining. I don't feel like, uh, I'm going to go through all these playoffs. I'm not going to cover all these playoff series. Like I said, cause again, a lot of them have just been boring. I have, even if the magic won a game against the Bucks, which was hilarious. I'm just not, I don't really care. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. Um, but just looking through, we have what, uh, we have a three and oh, a two and one, a three and oh, a two and one today. And then a two and one, a two and one, a three and oh, a two and one. Okay, actually, I guess we have more two and ones than I thought. Um, but for the most part, they haven't been the East in particular has just not been very fun at all. Obviously, the uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Toronto has just been like abysmal. It's been terrible. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. To you. I've watched like a half of that series. I just, I have no interest. Um. Anyways, but so the I, I wanted to talk about Houston and OKC, but I don't have a ton of time necessarily here. Um, really quickly, I guess uh, Chris Paul has done a pretty good job keeping this offense under control. Um, I think the the problem is uh, they don't have enough big guys to that can move to really take advantage. I mean, those guys have just get like Stephen Adams and Gallinari have just been getting killed on defense. It's going to be hard for them. Uh, I mean, Harden. Uh, I mean, Harden has been pretty good, but I mean, they, their shooting has been up and down, but they just take so many, they take so many threes that it just doesn't matter sometimes, like I said. Uh, so that's been an interesting series to watch. Um, Pacers Heat hasn't really been particularly competitive. I got to say, I was, you know, like I told you, I was a little worried about the Heat for X amount of reasons. And so far, I mean, they proved me wrong for the most part. I mean, Butler's still been getting the free throw line. Harrow and um, Duncan Robinson have still been pretty awesome. So I'm going to eat crow on that one so far. Uh, they've looked pretty good. Um, and then Dallas Clippers, I was going to talk about actually for a little bit, but Luca got hurt. I imagine that's going to dampen their chances quite a bit. Cause I mean, God, Luca was just awesome. Those first two games um, and PG has been awful, but Without Luca, obviously, I'm not really expecting too much from the Mavs. So, I mean, we'll see how tonight goes. Uh, I think Luca's playing, but who knows if he's really going to be the same. Anyways, here are the three most important series. They're not most important, but just most notable. One of the the last one I'll get into more, uh, not necessarily for its competitive merits or anything. But so for the first one, I'll talk about the Lakers and Portland. 
Um, just the the Lakers defense has been excellent so far throughout the series. I mean, obviously they they blew game one, but in those three games they've given up a hundred points. Or wait, I totally wrote that down wrong, didn't I? I did. Um, so the first game the Lakers held Portland to one hundred, and then oh my god, how did I write this down? I wrote down all the Lakers scores instead of the Blazers scores. Anyways, uh, so essentially, I think like the most, here we go. So the Lakers have held the Blazers to 188 and 108, which is awesome because obviously Portland's defense or Portland's offense was way more efficient than that throughout the bubble and everything with the way Dame was playing. And so, I mean, they've just been awesome. I mean, these jumbo lineups they've been playing are very, very weird, but they work against a team like Portland who really doesn't have any front court depth. Uh, I mean, obviously the first game they kind of blew it, but I think that was more just because their offense was kind of gross and sluggish and everything. But they figured it out the last two games. Uh, I mean, LeBron certainly was more assertive on offense last night. What did he have, like 38? Yeah, he had 38. They don't need him every single night like that, but, I mean, he needs to he needs to ch- take charge more. I mean, I felt like he he was just kind of less explosive. He didn't, he didn't really look like himself the first couple games there. But, I mean, now he's, you know we know he's back, and the passing is still – the passing and the rebounding were there the first two games. The offense, the scoring just necessarily wasn't there. So that's good that he's figured that out. Davis – Obviously, it's been Davis. I mean, he just eats this Portland team alive. Like, Portland, really, they just can't do anything against these bigger lineups because they have Nurkic. And other than that, they just they don't have any solid defensive big men, right? I mean, they have – especially with Zach Collins out, now their front court is essentially uh, – why did I just say Zach Collins? Yusuf Nurkic. Their front court now is essentially Nurkic, Hassan Whiteside, and Melo. You know, like if you want to do small ball, Mario Hazonia, like power forward or something, whatever. But that still doesn't change that. Like, you know, and the Lakers have just been out rebounding those guys like crazy. I think last night they out rebounded Portland by 13. It's just it's a really, really bad matchup. And especially I mean, Dame still did really well last night, with, even with the dislocated thumb. You know, like he was just trying to get to the line instead of necessarily scoring. But, I mean, you still kind of – you don't have to worry about him perhaps launching from 35 feet as much as you did before he messed up his thumb. So, um, and also the Blazers, they just – they don't have any scoring depth. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying the Lakers necessarily do either, but at least the Lakers have Kyle Kuzma and um, Alex Caruso, and Rondo's coming back to help maybe balance out their lineup a little bit. But, I mean, the Blazers, when you look at their bench, they have Anthony Simons, who had zero points last night. Gary Trent Jr. was like two for six, I think. And then Hazonia is just, you know, Hazonia. So they really, they don't have, the, as I said before, the, their margin for error was already razor, razor thin. And now they play a good team who was able to take advantage of their shortcomings, and it's just not going to be much of a competition here from here on out. So... I, you know, I, I, like I said, I was surprised that the uh, the Lakers blew that first game, but I think that was more on the Lakers than it necessarily was on Portland. All right, so that's that series. Um, next up w- is Denver, Utah. I got to say, I really, for some reason, underestimated how bad Denver's perimeter defense was going to be. I mean, obviously, Gary Harris and Will Barton being out is going to hurt. But I really, I don't know why, but I just kind of forgot that, I didn't forget, I just forgot to mention that Michael Porter Jr. has been awful on defense. Like, he, oh my God, he's been, he's been so bad. And then um, Jamal Murray hasn't exactly been a saint on that end either. So, I mean, it's just been really, like, you know, I said Donovan Mitchell, we've seen him in the past. He's kind of struggled with uh, having to be the guy driving into the lane all the time and everything. But when you're driving against Mike Conley, no, that's, God, I got to, I'm tired. I need to take a nap or something. Uh, when you're going up against Jamal Murray, Torrey Craig, and Michael Porter Jr. as your perimeter defense, and then you're going in on Jokic, who's, not very fast at all. And then Paul Millsap, who's just old and only played 17 minutes last night. You're not going to have a good time. <laughs> you're, you're really not. Um, I mean, looking at Denver's roster, I mean, the guys that I really feel are like solid defenders are Jeremy Grant. And he's the only guy that really plays significant minutes. I mean, Monte Morris maybe, but, and again, Paul Millsap's just old. They just don't really have a ton of plus defenders on their roster right now. And then their offense just kind of crapped out again. Um, 
I mean, uh, Porter Jr. has been fine. He was pretty good the first two games. And then last night, I mean, he only played 15 minutes. He wasn't very good when he played. And then Jamal Murray, like, I mean, that first game, he was awesome, right? I mean, he looked in control. He knew exactly where he was going with the ball. Like, he knew when to pass it. He knew when to just take these shots. And he made a ton of ridiculous shots, too. I mean, he was he was legitimately great that first game. And then he's just falling apart again. I mean, it's the same thing that he did against the Spurs. He had a couple of good games, and then he was just like was actively one of the reasons they were doing so poorly otherwise. So, I mean, that's pretty disheartening to see. Because, um, again, he was so good that first game, and I really thought that he had uh, maybe turned it around or something. He could be more consistent going forward, and I was wrong. Um, yeah, and I mean, for on the Jazz side, though, I mean, Mike Conley – has been great. I mean, he obviously wasn't there for game two, but the game three, he had he made seven threes, 27 points. I mean, that's the kind of Mike Conley that they need. He doesn't need to score 27, score seven threes all the time, but he needs to be enough where like people are really like not fearful of him, like paying attention to him to help draw that attention away from Donovan Mitchell. And I mean, and this was even more important in a night when Jingles took two shots, made two points. So, I mean, that was huge because they're already missing Bogdanovich, right? So they, they're really kind of looking for other scoring options other than Donovan Mitchell. And, I mean, and Mitchell was a little inefficient last night, but I mean, or two nights ago, but he still got to the line. He had 20, and, I mean, he, he was a monster. The other two games, just going to the rim and, again, doing whatever he wanted because Jokic can't really move enough to stop him. Uh, Rudy Gobert having 24 points is just gross and, like, kind of an indictment on the way the Nuggets are playing right now. I mean, you can't. If you're Paul Millsap and Nikola Jokic and Mason Plumlee and Jeremy Grant, you cannot be giving up 24 points to Rudy Gobert. You just can't. You can't do that. It's just, oh, God. I mean, Denver, like, I, I kind of like Denver at the start of the series. And now, like, the, these two games that they have since played have been played in a way that kind of reevaluate, like, makes me want to reevaluate the way I look at this team because it's been so bad. Like, especially uh, two days ago was just awful, 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 awful. Um, so we'll see how, we'll see how this plays out. Um, they play again tonight at nine. I mean, certainly all the, the momentum has shifted all into Utah's favor. Um, which is, you know, it's cool. Cause like, I really thought, I really thought Utah could have been a very, very good team, uh, at the start of the season. I think I had them as like the two seed or something. And obviously Bogdanovich has gotten hurt and who knows if Conley's going to look this way the whole rest of the series. But I mean, they, I mean, they've looked great the last couple of games here. Uh, I'm I look forward to watching them uh, try and continue to do this. I, I'm, I really want to watch Mike Conley tonight and see how he does, because that's going to be the key if they really want to do anything in the playoffs. So that's it. Yeah, Denver, extremely disappointing so far, got to say. Not not really thrilled with that. Oh, all right, this next one's going to hurt, because, again, this one is a, a 3-0 series right now, but I we do need to talk about the Sixers, just because the Sixers and Celtics, because the implications – for how this series has gone so far are pretty massive, I would say. Um, so before I start complaining about the Sixers, I just want to say Jason Tatum has been fantastic. He, he was in a little bit of foul trouble the last game, but I mean, the Sixers have been playing drop coverage and essentially said, all right, Tatum, like, look, we're not going to let you drive the rim and we really don't want you shooting too many threes. So, I mean, we're just going to leave you open here in the middle of the court or take really contested shots. And if you make those, whatever, we probably weren't going to stop that anyways. And Tatum essentially goes, okay, like I'll I'll do that. And he's made it feels like every single shot that he's taken against the Sixers. I mean, they have Thibel, who like size wise kind of matches up, but he's a little skinny and he's a rookie, so he's not really going to have a ton of call. Like he's not going to get a ton of calls his way. And he, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, and he's just, you know he's still getting his feet wet, like in the NBA. You know he's not. That is his best level. He's certainly not ready to guard Jason Tatum for a whole entire game. So they have nobody to guard Tatum now that Simmons is out. And then that's, you know, kind of the trickle-down effect. I think Jalen Brown's been really, really good. And Kemba Walker hasn't, like, taken a game over yet, but he's been very, very solid, you know, in the role that they've had him in. He's certainly had a couple shots toward the end of the games that have just sucked the life out of the Sixers. So, I mean, the, the Celtics have been very, very good. However, the Sixers have just been – atrocious like even without the Celtics playing really really well I mean Tobias Harris I'm checking the game cast of the game that's going on right now Tobias Harris hit his first three in four playoff games Al Horford still has not made one Al Horford and Tobias Harris combined 
have one made three-pointer in the series. I believe Horford and Harris have made have less points than they do total shots. And neither of them have really been passing the ball that much either. So the way this team is constructed, they have one guy essentially on in the consistent playoff rotation. I'm not really counting Korkmaz because he's been abysmal. I don't think Korkmaz has made a three either. Shake Milton is essentially the only guy they've been playing that willingly takes catch and shoot threes. Other than that, they have no one. And with Simmons out, you essentially only have one other guy who's really like kind of willing to distribute the ball. And even then he's still more of the three guy, Shake Milton. So with Simmons out. So when you don't have, when you can't shoot the three and you're not passing the ball in a way that is at all significant and you're not score and you're not scoring the way you're supposed to, what value do you bring to this team? Like nobody's scared of Tobias Harris's defense. Al Horford's getting pretty old. He's not exactly been like a rock on the defensive end either. They've essentially added no value to the series whatsoever. Like Embiid has been awesome. He's done essentially everything he can. I mean, he's been passing out of double teams more consistently. He's still making mistakes, but he's doing it more. He's looking to do it. Um, he's become a, an actually much improved screener and roller. Cause I mean, um, Daniel Tice, obviously he could just kind of bully, do whatever, but Ennis Cantor, you know, as a bigger dude, the way you get him is to move him into space, but they don't exactly have a ton of guys other than Josh Richardson who can even try and do a pick and roll on him. But even just in general, Embiid has done a much better job of trying to wall off Cantor and then just roll to the basket um, if Richardson can't score. So that's been good to see, at least. Hopefully they can look forward to that in the future. But it's just the, the, the disgusting roster construction has been so apparent lately. I mean, they just they have no guys that are shooting threes other than Shake. Harris has been awful the whole series. Horford's been terrible. Richard's been Richardson has been fine shooting threes like a little bit, which is nice. But I mean, he hasn't been scoring very efficiently at all, and he's still not a great passer. So they have Alec Burks, who will run an offense and tries to get buckets a little bit, but he doesn't pass the ball, and he's nominally like the backup point guard. So that's not great. They have Raul Neto, who's I, I actually think is fine. I think gets an undue amount of hate. But, I mean, you can't really play him consistently just because of his size and everything. But they just – they have no guys on this roster that work at all together as a cohesive unit. And, you know, I know people love to give Brett Brown a lot of crap, and he's certainly done some stuff this series that I'm not pleased with. But, I mean, I thought he was good last year. Like, I thought he legitimately outcoached Nick Nurse, and I don't think you can blame a lot of this roster stuff on him. Like, he wasn't the one making this roster, right? I mean, and and – I don't think Elton Brand necessarily like, – I think Elton Brand is more of a scapegoat too because, I mean, he's the head of the front office. But I, And I don't remember these guys' names off the top of my head, but all of the guys that worked with Brian Colangelo in the front office are still there. Like they're still calling the shots because Joshua Harris won't kick them out. So, I mean, they're still – I mean, this roster, God, it just does not make any sense. Like not, none of these guys on the team are willing to work together in an offense that makes sense. Like it's essentially – it's essentially Embiid going down low and doing his thing for like three quarters. And then it works. You know, he does his thing and the rest of the team just kind of does whatever. And then at the end of the games, the, the spacing's terrible. And these teams are really trying to get Embiid to not be on the block. And these guys don't, none of them know how to do like a good entry pass. So it's a lot harder for Embiid to get in there. And nobody else can take the top off the defense in terms of threes or anything to make up the difference. And now part of that is like, I do wish, like I said, like Brett Brown, I think when Embiid starts to post up and everything, the whole team just gets too passive. Like, I think there needs to be more weak side action, a lot of more off ball movement and everything, which he's never really done for some reason, which, you know, again, like that's something he's done wrong. And I'm, you know, I, I'm willing to concede that, but I mean, God, this roster just sucks. It, it really like, it, it makes no sense together. And I mean, if as a, as a fan from an outside perspective, like, I would be willing to get rid of everyone except Simmons and Embiid this offseason. Like they, there needs to be a major shakeup somehow. I don't know how they're going to do it. Do they have to get stuck trading for Chris Paul? Maybe, but something needs to be done with Philly and it, it cannot stay the same. I mean, I think Simmons drastically changes the complexion and outlook of this team, but you cannot look this bad with Simmons gone. Like they've looked so bad without him and that's unacceptable. Like, I, I would imagine by the end of this season, like, they may lose tonight and then they get swept. 
I, I would not be surprised if everyone, the front office and the coaching staff just gets cleaned out. And that may be for the best. I think it's, it's probably time for a change at this point. But, I mean, it, it, this situation is not tenable like this at all. Oh, it makes, it's just – it's so frustrating because the groundwork was there. I mean, right, I mean, they were so good last year in the playoffs. Man, I, I, I don't have anything else left to say here. I'm just really, really sad watching how this has all unfolded over the last, like, two years or so. All right, well, enough negativity. So now I get to talk about the fun stuff of DC and everything. So that's my NBA playoff stuff so far. Um, I will probably do this probably again by the – I'll do another one once the first round is officially done and then we can talk about more uh, like basically all the series in depth a little bit more once we have like the benefit of like overviewing the whole series, how everything played out. So, yeah, so we'll do that. It's been fun. It's been kind of fun so far. Not for me necessarily because the, you know, my series sucks, but – um, you know, there's been some pretty good games so far in the first round, so I'm looking forward to more of them, and I'll do that in another week. Okay, here we are. So... I'm going to talk about the um, DC fandom and everything. Uh, I brought a couple guests with me to talk about it this time. So we have Joe DeSena. Joe, hello. Hey, everybody. Drew Malvasi. Hello. And then uh, Nick. Well spoken, well spoken, Drew. Couldn't have said it better myself. And then Nick Roll, a longtime guest. Okay. So I just had like a couple of general questions that I figured I'd just ask you guys and see, like, did you, like, did you like the way everything was presented? Like, is this something you'd like to see going forward in terms of just like the overall, like everything right in a row, like video after I'm going to say no, because they had quite a bit of filler. It could have been like a, probably like a four hour event and it would have been good, but like, they like I didn't watch it throughout the entire day. I like was like popping in and out like for the stuff I cared about, and you know it was cool that they show off like the fan art and they had like fan questions and stuff. But I feel like that would have been better. That was like before or after the event, you know, mm -hmm. or you know like they had the a lot of the interviews interspersed between the announcements and stuff. I feel like. Those were like a separate deal, but more like a, like a Nintendo Direct. I feel like that would have been a better way to reveal everything. I, I would probably agree with you, Joe. Drew, any thoughts? Um, I actually really liked it. You know, they didn't do a Comic Con this year, and this was like something to kind of fill that void for us. Not that I've ever been, um, but it was nice to see like how much of a community there is out there. And uh, sure, it kind of got boring at some points, but I'm sure there's other people who actually enjoyed that. And uh, not only that, it's I don't think I could carve four hours where I could just sit at my computer and watch trailers all day. So it was nice to be able to come back when I had free time or, you know what I mean? Yeah. About time to come watch the stuff that I wanted to see. You know what, Joe? You persuaded me to change my mind. I completely agree. I forgot there wasn't a Comic Con this year, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So, like, I guess just you know, obviously, Comic Con is going to come back when it is able to. Like, would you guys prefer um, to kind of do like what they did today, where they they cram everything into like a one day period, or are you fine with Comic Con just kind of stretching things out, like just to have that kind of overall experience with like the panels and whatnot? Drew, you have anything on that? Any strong opinions? You guys just froze. Oh, wait. Um, I thought it was an interest. I've never done one of those. I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, could I have just waited a day and watched a highlight reel? Probably. Will I probably do that if that ever happens again? Most likely. Yeah. But it was it was fun. Yeah, I definitely. I sat I, like I didn't have anything to do yesterday, so I just kind of sat around. I didn't watch the whole thing, but like. I watched more than I needed to. So, I mean, like, I, I kind of liked the, the general idea, but 
I think there there was a lot of stuff they probably could have handled better in terms of like the the pacing and everything. Some some of the panels were like they were cool, but like there's only so many different like foreign voice actors of Batman I need to hear about in like a, a thirty minute span, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that probably could have been like some separate thing. So that yeah, that was just in general. Like I I I, I kind of liked the approach that they went. I don't, is Marvel doing anything like this? Do we know? Not that I know of. Uh, I haven't heard anything about it. DC really hyped this up and made it known. Right. So, right. Yeah. So, okay. So that was just a general thing. So I figured if anyone has a favorite thing from fandom that they'd like to talk about, now is your opportunity. Um, I'm really excited for The Suicide Squad, uh, directed by James Gunn. I, uh, you know, the first one was not great. But uh, James Gunn really knows how to uh, make you like characters who are unknown. And so uh, I'm, I'm actually very excited for that. It's a hot take about the first one being bad. Um, yeah, I think the, um, the, the thing that I find most interesting about it is that like, they're, it, it seems like they're making it a little more full scale. Like it's taking like from the behind the scenes thing they showed us, it's taking place more on like a like a traditional like war battlefield or something, which I think suits them better. Like, I don't know if the Suicide Squad is going to be able to tell its best stories when they're fighting some cosmic uh, overlord or whatever the heck it was that they did in the first movie. Like, I think they're probably just better on a more grounded situation. I don't know if you guys would agree with me. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think a, uh, a guy who throws boomerang should be fighting a, you know, all-powerful god or whatever. Like Superman in the kill the justice league game that's different that's that's that looks like it's going to be amazing as well yeah that's probably what my top pick was even though i didn't show any gameplay but it's like i know it's going to be a banger i don't really need to see the gameplay the arkham games are some of the best games like ever so like i know it's going to be a certified classic already yeah i I was uh rocksteady's earned the benefit of the doubt here i think uh, back to the Suicide Squad real quick. Drew, I know, you, I know you haven't looked at any of the, the trailers or anything. I know that's not your thing. But just in general, like, they have, like, 15 different characters that, like, they've got lined up for this movie. Like, is that, like, a problem inherently, do you think? Or with a film like Suicide Squad, do you think it works better to have, like, all these people crammed into it? I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Like, with that many people, you have, like, a lot of possibilities to do. And, like, just think of the first one. What was it? Rope Man? He sold the show. <laughs> he did. Yeah. So I, I would imagine like a third of those guys are going to get axed in the first like 25 minutes. I hope Harley Quinn dies. And that's like the big twist. Like Harley Quinn dies. Who, who else was in it from the last movie? Uh, the, the returning characters are Amanda, uh, Viola Davis is Amanda Waller, Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn, and Jai Courtney is Captain Boomerang, and uh, Joel McKinnon is oh. Reflect. Prediction right now, all of those characters die within the first 20 minutes, and the main characters are like, what was Polka Dot Man or something? Polka yeah, Dot, yeah. yeah, he's going to be the, the like the main like powerhouse. <laughs> That's a take. That, that is a take. Uh, yeah. Drew, what was your favorite part of uh, Fandom? Um, I did like the, what was it, Gotham Knights? Oh, the video game? Yeah. I'm pretty excited for that. Yeah, that was really cool. I know, like, people, a lot of people are complaining about the uh, the gameplay and, like, already kind of complaining about how it's going to be a game as a service and everything. Like, I'd like to pump the brakes on that first and just see how it plays out before we, people make any rash decisions about how good or bad the game's going to be already. But, yeah, I mean, I thought the, the game itself, like, just the visuals itself looked really cool, and I kind of like the kind of moving away from what we already know. Like, they're still giving us something familiar in, like, terms of, like, a Batman-style video game, but, like, they're also giving us, like, kind of, like, a fresh take on it with a bunch of different, more colorful characters and whatnot. Maybe strong no, I don't like... I mean, I feel like it's kind of weird how they're, like, taking a lot of stuff from the Arkham universe while also saying it's not connected to it. I feel like that's a little confusing. Like, to anyone who doesn't really know much about it. Because, like, at first glance, I thought it was another Arkham game. 
Yeah, I did. said Batman was dead and stuff like that. But Which then, the, like, the, the other continuity doesn't really match up. Sorry, say that again? The, the Suicide Squad game is supposed to take place with all those Arkham games. I saw. Right, yes. Yeah. So, I, at first, I thought they were both going to be, like, all shared universe, but it's not the case. So, like, it seems like they're just taking bits and pieces from it and just kind of making it, like, its own thing. Yeah. All right. So, um, I didn't – I don't feel like we need to talk about – like Wonder Woman too much or anything, just because like that's already kind of like a known quantity at this point. Like, I feel like the only real significance we got from that was just like Cheetah doesn't look like an abject disaster. No, I don't know, man. Honestly, like, if the Cats movie didn't exist, you could say that. But I, I just like there's too much like of a association for me to not see it as being kind of weird looking. See, and I guess I, did, I just don't have that viewpoint because I, I didn't see Cats, so, like, I don't I mean, have that's that. a good, like, you're better than me for that, but, like. Well, of course, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I um, can't take that back. Right, right, right. Um, but just in general, I don't know if, if Drew or Joe have anything they want to add about Wonder Woman, but, I mean, I didn't think there was anything really, any new insight or anything that we gained from what they showed us other than just some new footage of Chris Pine wearing parachute pants or something. Yeah, there wasn't, you know, too much that we didn't already know. I think it was just that, you know, that was also earlier in the day. So that was just to, something to hype people up. But, yeah, there's not too much more that I need to know except just watching the movie. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to move on to the, the two big pieces of information, I guess, that we got yesterday. So we got the, the Snyder Cut trailer, which we'll start with first. Um. So I was talking to Joe right before we started. So it looks like none of the footage from Joss Whedon's version of Justice League is going to be in the Snyder Cut. Go. So we have four hours of Snyder Cut footage, which is just, by the way, like Pure Snyder goodness. incredibly dumb. But what? So we're, Wait, I'm, have I'm, you ever watched The Watchmen? <laughs> no, I haven't. You watched The Watchmen, not oh. Steve Sales. Um, well, that, that explains a lot now. Uh, look, my problem. My problem is like it, the original movie was. He was aiming for like two hours and fifty minutes. So like, even if this movie was going to be better, it's still going to be way too long because there's like you're going to edit stuff out anyway. So there's still like an extra hour and ten minutes of footage that wasn't going to be in the movie that's just there now. Like, is it not going to feel super? I good? have a theory. I think that a film theory. theory? Yes, yeah. I have a film theory. Uh, <laughs> I think he's taking like massive chunks of like his ideas that he had planned out for like the like you know supposed justice league trilogy that never panned out and like trying to fit it like all in to this like one big movie because i think he part of him knows that he probably won't have another chance at this if assuming it doesn't like become like a massive success right he's just kind of like gonna throw everything at the wall that he can yeah, but unless unless you guys saw something that I didn't, I don't think they did any additional reshoots. Like, they just did all the effects that weren't done or anything. Oh, I heard that they had people coming back in for reshoots. Oh, all right. I just, I, didn't, that. I just assumed that they didn't do anything because I, I hadn't seen anything specific about it. But Well, if it's a whole four hours, I feel like they would have to have some reshoots, you know? Like, and it can't just all be CG, can it? I mean, I guess I just, from my my understanding was that, like, they had pretty much like the majority of the movie done and then once he left and that josh whedon came in they're like oh wait why don't we just fix all of this while he's gone but i mean obviously i'm not there so what do i know but okay so anyways just back to the, the original thing so the, the trailer it, it looks very much like a Zack snyder movie um especially i just watched man of steel last night very you, you can see the differences between the movie we got and the movie that it looks like we're getting with this trailer um but i guess so anyways the, my original point was four hours of footage is a lot of footage like would you guys rather watch it as a mini series or would you rather watch it as the movie i think they're giving us the option of both we'll start with drew i think i prefer the movie well said <laughs> Um, oh, I don't know. Like, I guess just one and done, you know? Just get it on the first try. 
This is the Snyder Cut. This is what we have been waiting for. The Snyder Cut is finally getting released. We're going to watch it as he intended, as a film. This is the film exactly. that he deserved to make that he never had the chance to. And now it's here, and we're going to watch it all at once to see his vision be realized, finally. A man denied his vision. Justice so, exists. Personally, I, I, I would want to watch it as a miniseries because Ooh. the movie that he was going to give us was, again, the first of a trilogy. And if it ends on a cliffhanger, that's going to suck. So, you know, if he's going to, if he's going to be able to do reshoots and also he has an entire justice league movie to look at and say, Hey, I'm not going to do what they did. And, you know, hindsight 2020 and he'll be able to end the movie in a way where it's gives the viewer some kind of satisfaction and, but not, make us need more and i feel like he would be able to do that through a mini series better but that's that's just how i feel i guess uh, just in, Steve, I'm, actually can i interrupt you really quick i just looked it up there will be no reshoots so i was mistaken so i just want to put that out there so i mean i, I really don't know what this could possibly be well so just based on his like style i mean like I, i'm gonna watch the um the the, the snyder cut of batman v superman tonight um it just it, like I think he just does this like he overshoots like everything like because he has no concept of like internally editing his scripts like while he's making the movie like he just he films literally everything. So I, I guess it's not like a huge shock that like they had all this footage already because that's just what he does and that's like obviously one of the big problems that he has is he cannot fit a cohesive narrative that he wants to tell within the traps of a like legitimate movie in terms of like runtime and everything. But anyways, I guess just on principle, like, I don't really like the idea of watching movies as miniseries. Like, I'm willing to, I'm like totally willing to realize that it's going to be way too long as a four hour movie, but it's still going to be paced as a movie. Like, as a, like I don't think you, it, it's hard to really pace um, a movie as like a TV show or like shorter segments. I mean, it's like, you know, we see in, um, just like movies on cable all the time like it just it makes no sense like when you try to fit in the commercial breaks and everything like i just i don't think it i don't think those types of things really work when you try to stretch them out into like different pieces and everything um so moving on from that i guess like was there was there anything in the trailer that like stood out to you or like just like something you wanted to discuss as like something looked different or like more interesting than what we got in the movie Thought Dark Side looked a little rough around the edges. That's just me, though. What do you guys think? I thought Dark Side, I thought he looked fine. Like he looked a little bland. But I mean, when you look at Step, like Steppenwolf looked a thousand times better. I would. You think so? Oh, oh, I. You mean the new design? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. For sure. I, uh, I have to agree with Nick that Dark Dark Side looked a little rough around the edges. But if we're kind of comparing that with what I, you know, what I think it is. I think that's like, uh, you know, the story that they tell at the beginning of Justice League where uh, Steppenwolf comes down and everybody fights against him. I think they're gonna, that's gonna be Darkseid. And so that's an early version of Darkseid. And I think eventually uh, he'll get that cleaner look that we normally see him as. Yeah, also, I, I, I just, just confirmed that, by the way, that that's like the, the young version of Darkseid or whatever. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. That's. I also did like the, uh, if you looked, you could see the Omega symbol, but it was upside down on his chest. I did like that. Do you have anything from the trailer that you thought was particularly interesting? I liked that there was more um, cyborg stuff, because like, we're actually going to like learn stuff about him and not just like have him be there and not know anything. Right, right. That yeah. was dumb. That was stupid. The original cut of Justice League that he was just kind of there. Yeah. Um, certainly, Silas Stone, by the looks of it, does not have a, a nice go of things in any form of medium. If you've watched Doom Patrol at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Is it Doom Patrol uh, reference? Yeah. Um, no, but I feel like I've, I've read somewhere that Snyder said that Cyborg is supposed to be like the the heart of the film or whatever. I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like given the original oh, yeah. cut, I don't it know was, about that. It was in the uh, the interview before they played they played the uh, 
the trailer, like he uh, he talked about, you know, the Flash is going to have more to do, and not only that, Cyborg, we're actually going to get to know Cyborg more than we did in Justice League. Right. Well, so that was what I wanted to get into next. Is it, it very much looks like the Flash is in the Speed Force at one point and like starts traveling back in time, which again excites me because gives him more to do. I did like definitely like I feel like the other four characters like they gave them enough stuff to do and gave us enough gave enough investment in them for us to kind of like get like what they were doing and like what their their purpose was and everything but flash and cyborg were definitely like i don't want to say tossed to the side but definitely more like uh peripheral characters so now like it seems like those two have pretty important things to do which i guess i can appreciate now that like all six of them have seemingly importance to the movie like equally you know it's like Superman was dead for half of the, the movie, and I still feel like he did more in Justice League than Cyborg in The Flash. That's very true. Yeah, that's fair, I think. Yeah. So, All right, uh, we're gonna I, take, I'm going to stop you right there. I have to pause this due to length constraints, and then we'll start right back in like two seconds. Aye, aye. Continue with your point, Joe. Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, um... If you don't remember, we can just move on. Yeah, let's just move on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, classic Joe. All right. So I guess that's that's it for Justice League. Um, I will say one note before we talk about the new Batman. Um, I'm happy that they're bringing back Ben Affleck in uh, Flashpoint. I don't know if you guys really thought about it that much. I was just I'm just assuming that it's kind of more of like a, a send off role for him, like so they can kind of. Uh, like pivot to other people to play Batman uh, while he gets his little swan song or whatever. But that's nice for me to see just cause I, I, he's personally my favorite Batman that we've seen so far. So I'm happy to see him get one more opportunity here. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, if they're getting, you know, uh, Ben Affleck and I hear, I can't remember if it was just a rumor or not, Michael Keaton as well. I think uh, the flash movie is going to be fantastic. Into the Batverse? Is that what it's going to be in the Flash movie? I don't Well, you know what I, I kind of imagine they would do is, like, they show they show Affleck in, like, the like the regular world, and then they use Keaton as, like, an older one in the, like, whatever the Flashpoint world is that they end up going to. So you wouldn't expect them to actually be tying into the 1989 Batman continuity then? No, no, I don't think so. Oh, okay. No, I think, I think they're, they're just leaning really hard into – like multiverse time travel stuff, which oh, I am. There was another thing I wanted to talk about. So seemingly they're doing, like they're they're totally willing to do out of continuity movies now. Like it sounds like this whole Robert Pattinson trilogy of movies is going to be like its own separate thing. And it sounds like they're willing to do more of those for other characters in the future. Um, is that something like you guys are okay with, or do you prefer more like the Avengers where it's all connected? And uh, honestly. I feel like while it's really cool to have all the connective tissue between all these movies, I think Shazam probably had the best balance for that. But like, I feel like a lot of these standalone movies benefit because they can actually, you know, stand alone and let the director kind of do his own thing without having to worry about like keeping it like thematically the same. I know like with the Marvel movies, they like all have to be shot in like the same camera and stuff like that and have like similar color grading in order for like, you know, the movies to like align more. So I feel like by making them like Elseworlds, they actually are allowed to, you know, be more unique. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I hadn't, I actually hadn't thought about the uh, stylistic thing uh, in terms of like what you're allowed to do creatively, which I guess makes, makes sense when you think about it. I just never really put it together. Drew, do you have any particular opinions about this? No, I agree with Nick because like, you're a lot really restricted if you're in like a a, a continuous like universe because you have to make sure you don't overlap or go in the wrong direction and like the marvel movies are planned like intense they go through everything before they even like go through with the actual film just to make sure it follows the original story and stuff but like the standalones you can just take it in whatever direction you want and i, I think that's kind of nice yeah, I, I think that's actually why I liked uh, Thor Ragnarok so much is because it was out in space in the middle of nowhere. There was some tie-in with Doctor Strange in the, like the first 30 minutes, but 
after that, it was they just let the director do whatever he wanted, pretty much. And uh, yeah, it it still kept with the same tone as the rest of the Marvel movies, but I just felt felt like they gave him more freedom to do whatever they wanted with that movie, which is what I'm looking forward to with the DC movies, especially. Yeah, I'm. I'm certainly like I'm. I'm excited to see some cool stuff that they do, and hopefully they can use those to perhaps give themselves a um, uh, use some like underutilized characters to give them more avenues to be explored and everything. Uh, I'm also still like, I'm still fine with like those interconnected movies and everything. Like I think uh, perhaps a little bit smaller of a scale than what Marvel's been doing lately. You can still do those with a lot of fun and everything, but it probably is better in the long run. I think creatively to be able to tell these stories by themselves and everything. So, all right, so now why don't we dig into the, the actual Batman trailer itself. Um, I got a lot of uh, Daredevil vibes from it in that it was certainly more grounded and like kind of more like violent. Me too. Like you can see, like especially in like the, the beatdown scene where Batman just like kicks the dude to the ground and then just continues to beat on him after he's already like dead practically. Like it, it certainly felt more like uh, ragged and uh, rugged than like Ben Affleck's Batman, let's say, in terms of just like the, um, I, I can't remember the word. I mean, someone else talking to me while I try and. Um, so I think the thing I liked about the Batman, not the Batman, um, Ben Affleck's Batman, especially let's go with like the warehouse scene was that like, it was just like action packed. You know what I mean? If it, it was like, you know, like the classic cartoon, you hit them once and they, they fall down and they're done. They're done for the day. They don't get back up. I feel like, the Batman with uh, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson, my bad. Um, we can call him Pattinson if you want. It makes things easier. Yeah. Uh, will be more, not as like, not as in realistic, but like he's going to have to really he work to, you know, knock these people down. As you know, he, and he's kind of unhinged, it looks like, which is exciting. Yes. Yeah, I'm certainly like I'm. I'm very curious to see the um, the more like mind versus mind aspect of like Batman versus. But like, I'm actually very. Ple- I'm glad that they chose a guy like the Riddler as the first villain, just because not that like the other versions of Batman that we've seen aren't intelligent or anything, like very good at what they do. But like, we haven't had a movie that like focuses on the detective side as much, just because it like it's kind of hard to do that in a movie sometimes without like a a really really good script. So I, I'm, I'm glad that it's seemingly the focus is more on like the, the cat and mouse game between <clears throat> uh, Riddler, uh, Paul Dano, and uh, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, uh, something that when I first watched the trailer that I didn't like, but I'm starting to say, well, you know, I, I kind of like this is at the first crime scene, Batman is just walking around with all the police officers there. And I'm like, shouldn't, you know, shouldn't he be trying to hide but i kind of like that he's going around looking like he's a, a detective and they you know aren't trying to shoot him like they do in every other movie uh, yet yet drew any thoughts uh no i liked the the style it kind of felt like it'd be more of like a christian bale just without like all the high-tech gadgets which is nice so it'd be more of a, like a just like a personal, I don't know if they personal, but like, he's he's more human-like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm really excited for this movie. Um, looks pretty good. I'm you know I'm kind of impressed that they were able to put together that trailer when they've only allegedly finished like 25% of the footage. So I'd like to see the other 75% now. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, Nick. Side note: I know we were confused about the the question mark yeah no i realized it afterwards that was just the riddler reference i was kind of that was kind of yeah stupid. i just i watched it like right before we started the show joe and i both watched him again and i saw it's kind of obvious <laughs> yeah well i thought you were joking when you said that no i mean <laughs> I, 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 I knew it was gonna be 2021 but i didn't even connect the question mark to the two at first <laughs> yeah i know that was not not our finest moments right there i knew when it was coming out i was like dang why did why, why question marks Oh yeah, the Riddler. Yeah, but so, I mean, overall, like, I, I liked a lot of what they showed us yesterday. Um, I mean, certainly I think people have generally been excited for Wonder Woman. And say what you will about the, uh, the Snyder Cut and all of his movies, but I mean, they certainly know how to make good trailers for those movies. I've been burned yeah. 
Yeah, my Man of Steel trailer is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, oh my god, that movie's awesome. Like, Want to talk about it? No, briefly. We don't need to do that. But I mean, I I watched it again last night. That was ridiculous. How much I love that movie. Um. Anyways, I mean, I like oh. a lot of the stuff. What, Joe? Sorry, I, it's just it was still about the Batman. Uh, my roommates last night made me watch Twilight with them, and I just hope that. Because and I know Robert Pattinson has done other things other than Twilight, but I really hope he's able to break that uh, stigma with this, you know, with Batman. Because this is another big role, big, you know, career-defining role. And uh, I would agree. That, you know what? We'll know if he got rid of that stigma if after that movie, my dad stops calling him Cedric Diggory. Hmm. Oh yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. So I liked a lot of the stuff they did today. I mean, or yesterday, like they didn't really show me much that I was like, Oh, I don't like that. I mean, like the black Adam stuff was interesting. They didn't really talk about Aquaman too all that much or Shazam too, but there's no, yeah, I mean, they, they dropped the name of it, which was, I was excited about. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But so overall, I mean, I, I think they did a pretty good job with it. Um, is there any, any other closing remarks about DC fandom that you guys need to get out? No. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. Always a pleasure. So just to wrap things up, as always, the SQ Podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Uh, thanks for watching, guys, and I'll be back next week.